we've never had more long positioning than, than now. Uh, we've never seen so much money coming into markets. And yet we see the damage on these individual stocks vis-a-vis -vis the ind indices, because there's, there's been a lot of people that got hurt this year, despite what you, what you see with record highs. You know, a lot of stocks are down hard. At times you have, I think, said that, look, at, at, at some point when things begin to break or at least get out of the control of the central planners, even in the short term, uh, there's the potential here for really face ripping, um, uh, you know, jumps in, in the VIX and in the VIX is the volatility index. And, you know, we did see that during um, the short uh, market crash, uh, you know, back at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, it seems like you think, you know, we're, we may be due for a repeat of that. And uh, I don't know if this is necessarily presaging it or not, but it looks like volatility is actually breaking out of its latest wedge. So what's your current thoughts on volatility? Yeah, so there's, uh, there's a weekly VIX chart you see here that has these compression patterns uh, that we've been looking at for, for years, and, and, and they can be extremely lengthy in terms of how long they form. It, it can take months. It can take literally years. For example, 2017 was like the least volatile year ever. That was also a year when we had massive central bank intervention on the side of the ECB. And, and the BOJ, let's not forget, the world is not flat. <laughs> there's, there's multiple forces at work, but the VIX was extremely low. And what we see over the years, you know, once in a while, these patterns compress and then boom, something, something shifts, some event happens, and we see these breakouts. In, in terms of COVID, and I'm just going to highlight my wife here, and people knew that, I had to put that out publicly at some point. She had actually called in Q4, of 2019, when the VIX was trading at 14 or 15, she told me the VIX is going to 90. And I ignored her. <laughs> Biggest mistake ever, because it, it was so ridiculous. Because the VIX 90, you know, when that I think 1987 crash, when we had the old VIX, then the, there was something like that, but there was just no precedence for that in our modern times. And then COVID hit and, and VIX hit 86. I mean, it was absolutely mind-boggling uh, that that actually could happen but it, it did and at the beginning of this year you know we've, we've been looking at how the VIX had evolved from March 2020 into the end of the year and we realized that the VIX was again building one of those patterns and this pattern could go on into the end of the year it could even go into the beginning of next year so we've been kind of watching it for for months on end and it's been holding very, very cleanly. And uh, then in September, we had a breakout, kind of the first initial breakout, but that was averted right away. Um, VIX got pushed right back into the pattern and continued. But then something happened. It was uh, into this October, November rally. And there's a second VIX chart in the weekly. Notice two points here. One is Despite all the interventions, despite all these massive levels, despite in the summer months when nothing was really moving, the SPY was in a two, three handle range every day for hours on end. The VIX, since the 2017 low volatility year, going all the way to this year, there's a trend. It's, it's higher lows, higher lows, higher lows. And this pattern that we've seen this year since March 2020 is built on top of all the other patterns, the previous patterns. So it shows basically that volatility from a structural perspective 
vis-a-vis -vis the previous years has been rising. And in, in recent weeks, in, in October, November, when we had the big rally, note how precisely the VIX kept defending that rising trend line, just ping, 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 and each time higher lows. So that was that was kind of telling us that something was was going to happen, you know. And 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 now, boom, we have all of a sudden, you know, COVID is the new excuse again. Uh, we have this big breakout. What that tells me is that the genie is kind of out of the bottle here, because as I showed in on the on the NDX chart earlier. Uh, that had a breakout as well, despite NDX so far not having broken its trend. And on the Russell, there's a weekly chart I have for you. It also shows uh, a massive breakout in its underlying volatility index, which is the RVX. So all these charts have been playing very consistently, and now we have these breakouts. And I want to put this in context because I, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just pointing out what's been happening in the market. As I mentioned, in 2020, right before the COVID top, we had NASDAQ outperforming, we had banks, and small caps in the broader market lagging. Guess what? That's exactly what we just did in November. When the SPY made a new high until November 22nd, along with the NASDAQ, the NICE, the broader NICE, did not participate. The Russell did not participate. The Dow did not participate. None of them made new all-time highs. And which brings me now to the next set of charts. And this is really important here. Uh, it kind of called it the good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay, so my view in general is as long as the S&P can hold above the September breakout zone, which around 45.50, I think the precise level is 45.46, okay? As long as it can hold that, I think bulls are generally fine because you can view this as a back test, right? That's when we can have this new Santa rally for, for this year at, at some point. You know, assume, for example, they kick the debt ceiling, assume the Fed actually is not going to double down on the taper, and God forbid this Omicron thing is actually not a big deal, like we all hope, right? Then you, you can argue, okay, now we're getting to our sold positions, this level holds, boom, we can have a nice Santa rally. By the way, this is again the setup we had in January 2020, right? Because we had we had first a correction 5%, which is kind of what we're doing now, roughly, um, following the outperformance of NASDAQ and these lagging other indices, and then the final new high. You can envision a scenario like this where we can have another rally to new highs, and then maybe something bad happens at the beginning of next year. I'm not predicting anything, I'm just talking about the, the relationships. Uh, but this is the good part, okay? So the, as long as that level holds, I'd say, okay, that, that can happen. Um, now let's go to the, the bad part here. The bad part is that if you look at the small caps, I have a small cap chart here, IWM this year, it had just a major failed breakout. We were in this consolidation zone from February up until October. The, the Russell was just going up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down, which kind of makes sense. You say, okay, well, it's rallied a lot in 2020, so maybe it's consolidating. And there was a lot of talk about the Russell breaking out and it's going to you know, have this massive move up uh, the, the height of its pattern, if you will. Well, guess what? The Russell peaked on November 8th. It got massively oversold, which is fine. And the view was kind of to say, okay, well, if it back tests its breakout, and can defend that, that that's bullish. 
right? You got from overbought, you, you backtest that breakout, and then you can rally on into the end. That's not what happened. The Russell completely fell apart. It did not rally to new highs on November 22nd. It was already down. And now it's got crushed. 11, as I mentioned earlier, 11% down. I don't know what's going to stop. Uh, maybe it stops here because it's very oversold. But it got right back into the middle of the range box where it was the entire year. It's basically back to where it was in February. So keep that in mind, there's 2,000 components in that index. So when we all talk about this fantastic bull market, you don't see it in a Russell. Okay, it, 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 there's pain in this market. You don't see it in the larger main indices. Uh, in fact, I think one stat I saw today says that, you know, the average S&P stock had a 19% drawdown this year. You know, that's kind of bear market. <laughs> yeah, right? 1% away, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, but the indices, the main index has not seen any major drawbacks, right? The drawdowns, two and a half, three and a half, you know, 5%, that's it. But the, the, the average stock in the index has seen kind of a bear market, which tells me that there is actually a lot of pain underneath, despite what the index is. Why does the index not correct? Because we've seen it, we know it. It's the big fab five, these mega cap companies whose market cap weighting is basically holding everything together, which is kind of what we saw in February 2020, right? It was, again, the NASDAQ holding it all, all together, driven by a few stocks, narrow leadership. The internals leading up here to the November 22nd top were absolutely atrocious. It's not only the Russell, here's a chart or the Dow. The chart, the Dow also had a failed breakout, okay? It, it rallied above uh, its summer highs, completely fell apart and today it's actually below its may high so it hasn't gone anywhere since may okay the nice look at the nice chart it's the same thing you have you know a, a high in september then you had a pullback with the correction in september then it broke out in october november back tested the breakout it looked bullish it looked absolutely bullish it looked like bears were falling apart here because it looked like it was ready to, to go and this is where I referenced the article from late of October, because this is from a technical perspective, really important to me anyway. One of the biggest warning signs is always a break of a trend. In September, the S&P broke its trend. It did. And then it rallied back up. And in that article, I talked about this, the back test scenario, which is exactly what we saw in 2018 with, with the NASDAQ. It had a massive trend up. It broke it. It back tested it from the underside of the trend and it produced no highs. That's why everybody gets bullish. You know, the, the new highs on a negative divergence back testing the trend. And I submit to you, that's exactly what we saw in November. We saw, we saw the S&P rally up to new highs, it back tested the trend. And now it has, this is the daily chart here. You see how it precisely kept tagging it from the underside day after day after day after day and now it's falling away from it and then final new highs on all of these charts came on negative divergences with atrocious internals that's why i submit to you this you know everybody attributes the, the sell-off to omicron markets will look for an excuse to sell off they will attach they will attach a news item to be the reason even though you know we got you know a couple of dozen cases in the world at the moment who you know uh, it's it's the fact that the the technicals were already in place. The technicals are already there, 
And th- by the way, talking about you know, your, your comment about shorting, shorting is hard. It is very hard. And unless you work with stops, it's also incredibly dangerous. Why is it hard? Because tops are processes. It's, it's, you know, it, they keep driving it, they keep driving it, they keep driving it. And then you have these little tight ranges and, you know, you get these overnight gaps. It's, it's not an easy exercise. You know, that's why it's not really to be recommended for, for most, most people, you know, bottoms are events, tops are processes. And, and so what's happening here from a technical perspective, referencing that October article, that's exactly what, what was suggested as a possibility that this is what we could see, you know, now I'm not calling for a top, and I always, I get this on Twitter all the time. You, how many caught tops are you calling? I'm never calling tops. <laughs> I'm looking at <laughs> points of pivots where I, I see a shift in risk reward, right? And and so the, the the issue now is that we have a bunch of index charts with failed breakouts on them. Why is that important? Because failed breakouts mean there's trapped supply because everybody that chased those prices on the Russell, on the Dow, on on the NICE up there, they're they're holding an empty stack at the moment unless yeah, they're they sitting on losses. Yeah, yeah. And and one of the other things I keep telling our clients, you know, that when when you are in a sell process, you just got to recognize not only is it frustrating, but when it when the sell happens, it happens so fast, you're either in the move or you're not. And that's what happened last week. You know, they after that initial drop following the Powell nomination, you know, they started buying. Um, the S&P, the market back up, right? Everything rallied, banks and small caps and this, that, the other. But there was a clear bear flag there going right into the holiday. And that's when the news hit. So the, again, the technicals were there. And then the news was the, the perceived trigger. But now you had within two, three days, basically three weeks of buying taken out incredibly fast, right? So now that is an on issue. If you expect the Santa rally, because there's a lot of people in terms of trapped supply that may want to sell. The other issue I have in general right now, and this is, you know, we've all come to realize, you know, we kind of all numb to the price action that no downside lasts more for a day or two and everything gets immediately brought back up. We're all used to that. And there will come the time when that's not the case. And and you're going to see the, the dip buying yeah, dip buying dies hard, right? And you you may need a repeated amount of spankings before you get that capitulation part. And we are, as I mentioned earlier, with that chart, we've never had more long positioning than than now. Uh, we've never seen so much money coming into markets, and yet we see the damage on these individual stocks vis-a-vis the indices because there's there's been a lot of people that got hurt this year, despite what you what you see with record highs. You know, a lot of stocks are down hard uh, from from their highs. All right, so um, just a great walk through the technicals here, Sven. And if I was following you correctly, you said kind of the, the good scenario here is despite these failed rallies on the other indices, you feel like if the S&P can kind of hang in there, that we might be okay, at least for the, the near term. You put up yeah. a chart today, I believe, that shows some of the you know recent price history of the S and P. There is a technical um, pattern called a spinning top, I believe. Um, but it looks like you know you, you just sort of said, "Hey, this looks kind of interesting." Um, a is it a spinning top, and B, what, what, what you know, what does that chart 
making you think about right now? That chart is is a chart of the monthly S and P, uh, and I want to talk about the quarterly S and P in a minute as well because they're, they're all interesting uh, in terms of historical context. The, the The reason I put out that chart is that today, November thirtieth, when we're recording this, is obviously the last trading day of the month, and it's it's basically a rejection candle. You know, one one thing we've seen this year, and that's been I think challenging. Uh, for for us is one of the most common technical reconnects we see in markets all the time, be it from in, in both phases or in bear phases, is the market reconnecting with the five exponential moving average. It's a great technical tool on, on the daily charts. It's a great tool in the weekly charts. It's also an interesting tool on the monthly and the quarterly charts. There was a period this, this year where we didn't tag it for like six months in a row never seen anything like that it just kept going up and up and up and there were no reconnects you know that had me baffled it's like okay well this is acting very strangely um but we did get a reconnect in september and then now of course now we have this rally and we again pushed far above it but this candle is a is a rejection candle i don't know how we're going to close today but it does not look like a happy candle and it looks incredibly similar to what we saw in January 2020. That's why I keep referencing what the internals did similarly back then with the NASDAQ leading and everybody lagging. And it did not preclude new highs, right? As you, we all recall, we saw that rejection candle in January, but then S&P went on to make new highs in February of 2020, and then everything fell apart. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying, okay, well, I'm watching this candle in, in, in context and it looks incredibly similar. That doesn't mean anything without confirmation. I'm just pointing it out that we had a rejection on the monthly chart that looks somewhat shaky, right? Because you, you, you get these um, um, technical signals that, you know, and, and candlesticks can be very meaningful. So we'll, we'll have to still wait for confirmation. I just note the similarity. And in this context, let me raise this quarterly chart here. Um, in all of market history, you know, at least as long as I've been alive, the quarterly upper Bollinger Band is, has been resistance. Yeah, you could have seen spikes above it and you can see it on the charts here you know, going back to the 90s. You know, you get these occasional spikes above uh, but in general, it's not a happy place to start pushing long on, on markets. That's typically an area where we, you want to at least you know, reduce risk to the upside. And if, if you feel fortunate, you can even maybe try on a short. That's been history, right? Not this year. Not this year. This year, the upper quarter Bollinger Band became support. <laughs> I mean, we, 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 all the price action right now still is outside the upper quarterly Bollinger Band. And, and this is where everybody goes, buy the dip, buy the dip, buy the dip. You know, it, it certainly worked in the last couple of quarters, but we also have to recognize it's outside of any typical market history. And in my view, it's very reflective of how distorted everything is from normal functioning, if you will. And on that chart, you also see the quarterly five EMA. And look how far down it is and look how far disconnected we are. And we haven't touched it once this year at all. Now, we've not touched it uh, for several quarters in a row before. It was during the times when central banks printed heavily. This, this, is, this is their mission, actually, if you will. It's, they call it smooth market functioning. They want to kill volatility. Um, they want to compress it. 
And, and that's what no two-way price discovery really is allowed, if, if you will. Uh, but then when they lose control, that's when you get the big flush. And in, in the context of this chart, I want to highlight these intervention programs. And it's just a recognition for myself, but also for everybody else. We have not seen any larger size corrections since 2009 unless someone stopped printing somewhere. Okay. The 2010, 2011, 2012, they all came at the end of um, QE ending, if you will. And each time on a quarterly basis, if you see a quarterly red candle, some central bank will start intervening. That, that has been the history of this market since 2009. I mean, tit for tat. And so you, you can make that case then, okay, well, the Fed is tapering now. Tapering doesn't mean the end of QE. Tapering does not mean their balance sheet doesn't continue to expand. It just means the rate of expansion slows down. And guess what? Christine Lagarde, the ECB, she said herself, the lady ain't tapering. In fact, today, I even hear ECB speakers go out and say, well, you know, if, if we slow down the PPP purchases, we may just start something new. Now, they have not committed to any tapering whatsoever. Um, they have not committed to any rate hikes whatsoever. And I'm very conscious of the following fact. This is really important. In, in 2015, December 2015, you may recall Janet Yellen raised rates for the first time. And following that rate hike, everything fell apart. We had financials dropped 23%, the XLF, into February. From December to February, uh, dropped 23%. Out comes Janet Yellen and says, basically, we're, we're pausing the rate hikes. That was the low. That was the day of the low for financials. Boom. Okay. Again, reflective of how attuned central bankers are to market action going to the downside, how reactive they are, and how reactive markets are to them talking. Okay. So she paused rate hikes. But guess what? She then went back onto rate hikes. And why was she able to do that? Not because of you know, the economy being so strong, but because at that time, the ECB and the BOJ cumulatively started printing money like never before. Within, right. the, 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 they passed the baton to the other central banks. They to passed keep the, the baton. Going. 2016 to 2018, 19, they added five and a half trillion dollars while the Fed you know, ever so carefully started reducing their balance sheet. The net effect was the global central bank asset balance sheet picture didn't really change at all. So they, they, they kind of held it all together. In fact, it kept rising. I'll send you a separate chart on that. It kept rising, okay? So there's never been a time when they actually pulled out whatsoever. And that's my concern for next year because while the Fed may be tapering, the ECB is not tapering. They, they, they are keeping pedal to the metal even though christine lagarde is taking some political heat in germany in particular because the germans definitely have bad history with inflation they they don't want to see that that again um so that's we have to just recognize there's still liquidity added into the system albeit a lot less maybe but this year alone just think about it this year alone these two central banks ecb and the fed have combined added $3 trillion to their balance sheet. 
in an environment where we have inflation, in an environment where we have five to six percent GDP growth, what 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 is the circumstance? I ask, I wonder, when you do not add that much liquidity. When is the circumstance when you're actually going to raise rates? The ECB has not raised rates in over 10 years. July 2011 was the last time they raised rates. It's, it's, it's unfathomable. You know? So the, the, this is the big question, of course, and this is the, the question I grapple with in terms of, okay, is there a moment when ultimately this forces are right-sizing? But the problem is with the, the market being so far extended above the economy, any right sizing basically is guaranteed to bring about a recession because it's 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 so big if you enjoyed this interview with sven you're in luck it's the middle of three videos cut from a two hour long recording session with him if you've not yet watched the first video in which sven paints an excellent picture of the macro situation you can do so right now by clicking on the link provided in the description below or by going to youtube.com wealthion the final video in which Sven shares his thoughts on which assets will fare well or poorly in 2022. That'll be released in the next few days once we're finished editing it. To be notified when it comes out, subscribe to this channel if you haven't already by clicking on the subscribe button below as well as that little bell icon right next to it. And be sure to click that like button too while you're at it. Also, Sven has kindly allowed us to share his latest Northcast video with you, which you can access right now for free at Wealthion.com Northcast. It's packed with excellent charts and analysis that build on the conversations Sven and I are having here. And as always, if you'd appreciate a free, no strings attached portfolio review by a financial advisor who can help manage your portfolio, keeping in mind the risks and opportunities that Sven has highlighted here, just go to Wealthion.com and we'll help set one up for you. All right, I'll see you next when part three of our interview with Sven comes out.